HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Big Green Egg, the world's largest producer of ceramic charcoal grills, and also by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farms raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Learn more at BigGreenEgg.com and SpringerMountainFarms.com. Okay. Hey, everybody. We're back. Um, I'm Kat Johnson, and this is Katie Mosman-Wadler, and I'm the communications director for Heritage Radio Network. Katie is our executive director, and we are back um, day two of our Charleston Wine and Food coverage. Um, you can see our full schedule at heritageradionetwork.org slash charleston. We want to thank, once again, our sponsors, Big Green Egg and Springer Mountain Farms. If you haven't yet, check out the Big Green Egg demo area and go bid on the Big Green Egg Mini Max. Um, it comes with a starter kit, so if you win that, you will be ready to grill today. So do it. Or tomorrow, because it ends tomorrow at 2.30. So go bid before then. We are joined now with... Excuse me, guys. No problem. Matt Welch, East Coast Manager of Allagash Brewing, and Sean Ellsworth, the Senior Brewer at Allagash. Welcome, guys. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, so you guys are here at the festival every day like we are. You're at Cul- the Culinary Village. Can you tell us a little, bit, a little bit about what you're doing, what you're pouring today? So we have four beers with us today. We have our flagship, which is a Belgian-style wit beer. Uh, we splice it with a little bit of coriander, some bitter orange peel, little proprietary secret spice, as is traditional with those style of beers. We have our newest year-round offering, which is Hoppy Table Beer. We also use a little bit of coriander in that one, nice little tie-in, but it's got a lot of late American hops added in, dry hopping, Whirlpool edition, not super bitter, really floral though, easy drinking. Uh, We also have our Saison, which we brew with a little bit of rye. That beer is by far the driest beer we make, super, super thirst quenching, it's like bone dry, delicious when it's hot out. And then our last one is a triple in bourbon barrels. So it seems to be the big hit down here. Really? Seems like people like whiskey. People in the South <laughs> really like whiskey. I can, I can, Go figure. I can attest to that. Did not know. <laughs> but so you guys are based in Portland, Based Maine. out of Portland, Maine. Yep. We have a, Katie's also from Maine. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> Did not even know. You didn't tell us this before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm here now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I grew up south of Portland. Awesome. Portland is an amazing food town. It's, it's pretty and, cool. Uh, yeah, it's a great place to be making beer. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's always new breweries opening up all the time. It's it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Are you both Maine natives? I'm a Maine native. I was at one time. I actually live in Massachusetts right now, but um, okay. eager to get to back to Maine. Nice. Yeah. Um, go ahead. So Allagash, most people who have maybe just had one type of Allagash beer in their lives, it's obviously the Allagash White. It's the White, yep. Um, what do you think it is about that beer that has such that lasting power? I think that beer is very versatile. It reaches a wide audience. Someone that's just entering craft beer from wherever you came in from, wine or uh, spirits or drinking kind of macro lagers. It's really refreshing. It's light. It has coriander and uh, bitter orange peel, as Sean mentioned. Um, it just kind of has that mass appeal. It's really, really, it's, it's a great food beer as well. Um, up in Portland, we have some great seafood, and it's like the perfect tie-in for that uh, style of food. So um, I think, again, you know, for even the people that are really into the craft beer world, they still find it sophisticated and uh, unique and um, innovative. So, so Allagash is now a super widely known brand, and I'm not just saying that because I'm biased because I'm from Maine, <laughs> uh, but that's true. You can get it anywhere, and uh, despite that really rapid and impressive growth and wide availability, you still have a core uh, social mission and you're really a principled business. For sure. um, how was it to um, to grow the business and maintain true, like truth to your principles? And what are some of those guiding principles for you? That's another good one for you. <laughs> well, I think it starts with our owner Rob. You know, we're still owned by the sole owner who started it 22 years ago. His passion came from Belgian style beers. He worked for one year at Otter Creek Brewery out of Vermont, which you might be familiar with, uh, and just fell in love with the industry. And at the time, he just fell in love with what Belgian style beers uh, do. So. Belgium is kind of the Disney world of making beers. You can, there's no limitations. It sits in between Germany and France, so it takes a lot of beer culture from Germany, a lot of wine culture from France, and blends them together. So we use spices in our beer. We age in barrels. We use wild yeast. We spa, ferment spontaneously. Um, you name it. There's no limitations to what we do. So that has always kind of drove us as a, as a company, and at one point, we used to be in about 28 states, uh, and now currently we're in 17 states. We've pulled back over time just to keep up with demand, and we haven't really entered the state since 2007. So our goal is really to just continue to go a little bit deeper and um, reach out to those consumers that haven't tried our beer before. I mean, we're in a lot of uh, markets, I guess, with 17, but it's still, you know, there's plenty of people at this festival today that hadn't tried our beer yet, which is really, really exciting for us. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about those uh, new special projects you have going on. Like, let, we could talk about the Hoppy Table beer first and maybe taste it. Yeah, let's sure. do that. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, grab a Hoppy Table beer, but I'll let Sean talk about the specifics of the beer. But we don't come up with a lot of year-round beers. Um, we don't come up with them one every year, for sure. We haven't come up with one probably in four years, and before that it was probably seven years. So this is kind of fun to us to introduce. Uh, table beers in general are very historic style in Belgium came from when there was bad water quality where you had one to three percent beers uh, on a table and that's what you drank because the water was poor um we again we follow very traditional belgian style recipes and put allagash spins on them and that's what we did with this beer so you can talk a little bit about the beer itself yeah so uh we use some american hops which is kind of different for us being a belgian style brewery but american hops are huge now people love ipas so we go pretty heavy in the whirlpool with some common in which 
Those are two pretty pretty delicious hops right now, I think. And then we followed up later on with some dry hopping of those. So since it's mostly the back end of the brew side, it's not super bitter. Still drinks pretty clean, but you get all those like floral, fruity notes that you'd get from a more hop-forward kind of beer. So, Can you describe for our listeners back home the appearance of this beer? Uh, slightly hazy. Uh, <laughs> light golden. Uh, maybe one finger worth of head. Cool. I, th- I think slightly hazy also applies to um, how we felt this morning after the party <laughs> with That is a true statement. Maybe a little bit more than slightly hazy, I think, this morning. <laughs> Pretty um, late nights here at Charleston Wine and Food. And let's talk about taste notes for this beer. What was that, tasting? Tasting, tasting notes, notes yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think this is, beer is really cool because it is 4.8% alcohol, so you can have more than one of them. Uh, we make all Belgian style beers, so our t- beers don't tend to be very overly hopped in general. So kind of fun for us. We crave hops as, uh, you know, being in the brewing industry, and we don't make very hoppy beers, so this is probably one of the most hop-forward beers that we make. Most of the hop characteristics all are in that uh, in the aromas, really. It doesn't finish very bitter. It finishes dry like most of our beers. Um, and as Sean mentioned, there's a little bit of coriander in it as well. So you get a little bit of spice and citrus. It's a bunch of like tropical fruit. Like I get a little bit of like papaya, mango. That's all like hop driven, mm-hmm. late hop edition. You don't get any of that bitterness. Just like the nice floral. Where yeah. are you sourcing these hops? They come from two different places. Seagull Ranch is one of them. They're mostly all from Washington, Oregon. Those are the big American hop growers here. So. And then you want to talk a little bit as well about the barrel age program you're doing and the wild, the wild, uh, wild beers as well. Yeah, totally. So, uh, so the white is our flagship. It's the biggest brand for us. Really, you know, pays the bills. It's beer people love people, but we like to do fun things still. So we have a whole room building, I guess, at this point. Totally separate facility dedicated to aging wild beers. So we have. Six oak foders, like you know, the giant wine upright upright barrels, basically large upright barrels. So we have a bunch of those that we can play around with. We have a couple core beers we rotate through there, but we also have probably 600 oak barrels that we can do. We get various spirit barrels. We'll put a beer in there, hit it with mixed cultures, some bugs, whatever we're doing. Um, we can fruit some of those barrels. We have stainless tanks to put fruit in. You can get some like funkiness from the fruit as well as the yeast. It's kind of just like our area to play and try new things, keep things exciting for us. Brewers love doing new stuff. People seem to like drinking sour beers too. So <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah. Yes. And I think the barrel itself just adds a unique ingredient to the beer. You know, you add a lot of flavor. One of the beers that we're pouring over there obviously adds a bourbon characteristic, sweet coconut vanilla notes, as well as that oak characteristic and. Um, again, it's just another ingredient you can um, you can throw into the beer. So it may be wine that was previously in the barrel before, or maybe mead, and maybe tequila, uh, and maybe brandy. You name it. So Aquavit, yeah. Armagnac, everything. We're constantly messing around. It's basically a building dedicated to experimentation. That's great. And you also open this up to more than just your brewers. You have a pilot program. Yeah. So we have a pilot system at the brewery. It's 10-gallon, was a 10-gallon, basically homebrew setup. We just got a little bit nicer one, so <laughs> kind of to emulate the brew house we have. But the idea is anyone who works at the brewery, if you have an idea, there is a group of people who will sit down with you and help you turn that idea into a beer. 
And then we brew those beers, and if they're good, we make them. So how many uh, newcomer beers can you try out, say, in a, in a month? We try to do one to two beers a week that we'll brew. Depends on production scheduling and... But yeah, we try to try to really burn through the, the ideas, get some new stuff, give everyone the opportunity. Everyone wants to try try making the beer. So, uh, can you talk about maybe one beer that was really successful that came through that pilot program, and then maybe one that had some opportunities for improvement? Yeah. So uh, the saison we're pouring here started on that pilot system. We like kind of knew in the back of our heads that we need to brew a saison, very typical Belgian style beer. So, one of our brewers had a homebrew that he brought in. People tried it, people liked it. So we already knew there was like a good basis there. Yeah. So we sat down, kind of modified the recipe a little bit, and now it's a year-round brand for us. So, and uh, mishaps. <laughs> so, is this gonna be on the radio? <laughs> it's internet radio. We can change the name. We we can talk about we can talk about someone's beer. I know he knows. Right. So we had somebody who wanted to mess around with doing a koji beer, uh-huh. like sake beer yeah. style. He kept tried five different times. I think you wouldn't want to drink any of them. Oh no! But he's got ideas still. We're gonna we're gonna maybe do it again. But maybe koji wasn't the only mold happening. Yeah, maybe koji oh, shouldn't no. be the way you ferment a beer and yeah it was too much too uh-huh. much maybe uh-huh. wow <laughs> some opportunities <laughs> explore new things <laughs> um what advice do you have for maybe first time or starting off home brewers drink a lot of other beers like i feel like that's how you learn you like go out there you try things expands your palate once you try something, then you have the opportunity to, oh, I liked this about that beer. I know they did this. I'm going to try doing that technique, mm-hmm. see if it works. It's all, homebrewing should be fun. Like, it's almost always going to taste good if you made it. And speaking of drinking other people's beers, what are some of your favorite main breweries right now? What are some of your favorite places in Portland to go out and drink beers and maybe do some food pairings? Big one for me, breweries, is Oxbow. So they're like, they're good friends of mine, so I have to say them. But they're making similar style be- beers that we are, but they're doing their own version of it. So we're both doing Belgian style beers, but they taste totally different. It's their own philosophy. Brewed on a farmhouse, which is pretty majestic and nice. But they're a little more Americanized Belgian beers, like a lot of hops. They're, they're tasty, delicious beers. Yeah, we're extremely lucky. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I want to say five years ago there was about... 30-something breweries in Maine, and now there's roughly 70. So it's grown so much over time with some amazing breweries. So we said we're very, very lucky, to even on our street, to walk out and hit four different breweries. Uh, three that are open right now, one that's about to open as well as a local yeah. distillery, who we work with as well to get some of our barrels to age some beers in. So as you mentioned, that the city of Portland is just amazing from a beer culture, art culture, food for sure, the restaurants downtown and surrounding greater Portland. We're just extremely lucky when we're ever up there to, you know, have great beer and great food. So. It's fun to spend an afternoon in the industrial park, just kind of going around, seeing what new people are doing, and it gets a little crazy. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the um, your favorite food pairings that you've seen with your beers? We've been lucky to do some stuff with Central Provisions. They like working with our beers, so they'll do... Like most recently for their anniversary party, we did a little tap takeover with them, so they were doing all sorts of things. We... 
because it's a good place for us, we all love going there. We're able to give them some more special beers for them to work with. Mm-hmm. They could do some cooking with some of them, some pairings with other ones. It was kind of like their greatest hits. So they picked their famous dishes over the year and then paired them with various beers of ours, which is cool. It's one of my favorite places to go. So dishes that I missed came back. Yeah. <laughs> We got to drink it with our, have our beer with it. So, one thing I wanted to ask that you you touched on is how much the craft brewing industry is growing and has grown in the past like five ten years. Because yeah. craft used to just mean small, but now there's some craft brewer brewers that are huge now. Um, how do you think? How do you think it's going to continue to change? Do you think you're going to continue to see tons of breweries popping up, or are the ones that are here going to just grow more? Hard telling, not knowing, I guess. I mean, right now, the industry is super exciting, and a lot of people want to be in it. You know, it's a fun industry. Um, it's a very social industry. I want to say last year, there was well over 1,500 breweries that opened, maybe even 2,000 breweries that opened in the United States, and is slotted to have over 1,500 this year as well. So I don't think the slowdown is, any, you know, is, is about to happen right now. Um, again, these breweries are exciting, and more and more people want to visit these breweries and tell the, and listen to their stories and try their beers at the actual breweries. So I don't see the slowdown happening right now. I'm not really sure when that, when that um, kind of slows down. Um, but it, we're just excited to be in it. I mean, for a brewery that's been around for 22 years with all the introduction of all these new brands and new breweries to still be around and still be relevant and still people still want to engage with us and our beers, uh, we're just extremely lucky to be there. Allagash also is a leader in um, kind of green building and green business practices, and I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about some of your recent efforts in that area. For sure. So much like the whole pilot system, we have a whole group of people who meets about what, what we can do, just trying to consider every step along the way. Um, we've done, like, some things, solar panels installed on top of one of our buildings. Um, we're involved in a new glass recycling program which is, should be a big one. We're with Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, some of the like bigger people trying to... It's pretty expensive to reuse glass, but trying to find like a good way to do it and a way that's good for the environment. Um, we do even like local philanthropy things. We have a park right across the street from the brewery. We all go out every couple months and we clean the park, make it nice for people to be there. We've adopted it. Our name's on it. <laughs> Might as well keep it nice. <laughs> yeah, I live true. close, too, so my dog likes to go there. So uh-huh. I want to keep it nice for me, me as well. But, yeah, community. So different things like that. Um, no, any other? Are you doing anything with spent grain? Spent grain. All of our spent grain is picked up by a local farmer. Has been almost since the day we opened. Um, he's a great person to work with. It started off, he was just feeding his cows. As we've grown, he's also grown. He's now supplies many local farms with grain. So there's cows, pigs, sheep everywhere eating our spent grain. So, yeah. That's great. That's a huge one, I feel like. Yeah, it's hard to get rid of grain. <laughs> and we were looking for different sources of power as well. We do 100%. We have mostly wind power as well as solar panels on the roof. So we're trying to find, again, different ways. And these ideas come from all of our employees and a team that just works really, really hard to research these items and bring it to our owner and our, our team that makes that decision and try to bring it to the brewery as fast as possible. The local compost companies, their facility is directly across the street from us, so it's been really easy to work with them about trying to switch everything over to like as low waste as possible, all compost. So, yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to see. Very cool. And Alagash 
has as part of your mission giving back to the community uh, by donating a percentage to local nonprofits. Are there other um, organizations that you are really proud to have supported? Yeah, we kind of incorporate a give where you live um, uh, program this this past year, and we've done it over the years through Tribute Series Beers, where we created beers uh, around an actual charity. So we've worked with Victoria Mansion, which is in Portland, you may be familiar with, uh, St. Lawrence Performing Arts. We work with uh, Barbara Bush Association uh, for pediatric nurses to give scholarships to them with our beer called Fluxus once a year, mm-hmm. uh, as well as Maine Organic uh, Farmers and Gardeners. So we're constantly looking for new charities and um, organizations to work with locally as well as outside of the Portland market or Maine market. Um, but yeah, well, there's no, you know, there's not a lot of charities that we don't work with, I guess. I mean, it's really whatever your passion is for as an employee at Allagash, that's something you can kind of bring to that philanthropy team, and we'll try to work with them. We've even had our tasting room people, even though all our beer is given away free, free tasters when you come to the brewery. People tip. People appreciate the experience. They Each month, someone from the tasting room nominates a local charity, and then everyone else in the tasting room votes, and then whatever wins, they get the, the tips, and it's like a couple thousand dollars a month. Wow. So just little things like that yeah. really adds up. That's terrific. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, thank you both so much for being on Heritage Radio Network today. Thank you. I really encourage everybody to go over. If you're in the Culinary Village, go find Allagash, drink some beer. It's delicious. <laughs> uh, it was such a treat to have you on, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your afternoon here. Thank you oh, so much. It's a blast. Thank yeah, you. It's great Thanks, here. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported nonprofit based in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today we're broadcasting live from the Food and Wine Festival at Charleston, South Carolina. Check out our full schedule at heritageradionetwork.org slash Charleston. We'll be right back after a short break. This episode is brought to you by Big Green Egg, the world's largest producer of ceramic charcoal grills. In business since 1974, they've transformed ancient cooking vessels into modern-day masterpieces. Today, they sell seven sizes of the egg, as well as hundreds of accessories designed to make your cooking fun, entertaining, and delicious. Often copied but never equaled, the Big Green Egg is the ultimate cooking experience. Learn more at biggreenegg.com. This episode is also brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farmers raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Many of them are second and even third generation. They're committed to doing things the right way. Springer was one of the first poultry companies to forego the use of antibiotics, and they've embraced other humane practices too. In fact, they were the first poultry company to earn the American Humane Association seal of approval. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com.